it's ridiculous to keep all of your people in one place. It's way too expensive, costly. Um, there's a bunch of other disadvantages to it. You can have cloud employees. You can literally have these people that just exist in cyberspace, and then they can work uh, more effectively and productively and be happier. And then you can also take advantage of a more cost-effective work environment. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Karshavsky, and welcome to episode 26 of That Remote Show, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Liam Martin, the founder and CEO of Time Doctor, one of the most popular time-tracking apps for remote workers. Time Doctor has been remote first from the very beginning and currently has over 100 employees that are all remote. And in this interview, Liam and I discuss what being a remote first company means and why it's so beneficial to companies, how Time Doctor uses AI to help you become more productive and what they have learned about the nature of remote work from all the data they've collected. We also got to hear what a day as a Time Doctor employee is like and why Liam started one of the newest but fastest growing conferences for remote workers running remote. Also, don't forget to jump into your favorite podcasting app and leave a five-star review if you're enjoying this podcast or better yet, consider sharing an episode with a friend who may enjoy it. All right, you guys, without further ado, I loved recording this interview and learned a ton and I think you guys will really dig the episode as well. So let's dive right into this interview with Liam Martin. All right, well, Liam, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Dude, I'm doing so good. I'm so excited to have you on uh, because you are the founder of Time Doctor, which is one of the biggest uh, time management apps uh, out there for uh, companies, correct? Yeah. I mean, you said it, not me, but yeah, I'd agree with that. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, I'll give you that compliment. But uh, before we kind of like get rolling here, uh, I want to ask you about something that I found out that we actually have in common, but in a slightly different way. So uh, some of the listeners might know that I'm a college dropout because I went to college. I hated it. It did not work. Nothing about uh, that experience for me in college really worked out. And what I heard about you, if this is true, is that you actually had a pretty tough time in graduate school. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, uh, I got the worst, I got the worst reviews in the history of McGill's sociology department for a first year professorship, uh, which was horrible. So I ended up, so if you go into grad school, you basically end up teaching first year classes. So for anyone that's going to university, your first year classes are usually not taught by a professor or a tenured professor. They're usually taught by a graduate student that has maybe realistically two to three years more education than you do, um, which is really problematic for the future of education. And we can talk about that in a separate mm -hmm. podcast. So I had my first class after seven years of being a teaching assistant. I was awarded my first class, uh, ended up having about 300 students at the beginning of the year, ended up with less than 150 by the end of the year. So half dropped off. Half dropped in. Yeah, uh, it was horrible. And I remember actually walking into my supervisor's office and I said, I don't think I'm really good at this. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, so where does that leave us? He's like, well, you got to get pretty good at this teaching thing if you want to enter academia. So either mm -hmm. get 
better at teaching or figure something else to do. And so uh, about four weeks later, I threw a master's thesis under his door and I was, I was out of that game, um, realized that that wasn't for me and really kind of entered the next tier of my life, which was uh, entrepreneurship and <clears throat> the first business that I off that was actually business. So that actually boiled into Time Doctor specifically because I was having a major problem inside of my tutoring business, which was I couldn't properly quantify how long a remote tutor was working for a student. So I'd end up having to, like the tutor would come to me and say, hey, I worked with this kid for 10 hours. He's saying I worked with him for five hours. I'd end up having to refund the student for five hours and pay the tutor for the full 10. That was destroying the business. So Time Doctor as a time tracking tool specifically built for remote teams was something that solved that problem perfectly for me. And that's kind of how I entered uh, remote work in a deeper way. So were you interested in remote work before starting Time Doctor or did or did you kind of like figure out that that was an interest? Like once you got going, you figured out that was sort of like your niche. No, I mean, th so I was tutoring or we were tutoring, the company was tutoring students remotely. So we were using Skype and we were literally just doing doing sessions through Skype. Um, it was a bit of a hack, but at that time, the technology really wasn't available even mm -hmm. to do these types of calls. Um, it's come, you know, light years forward. It's amazing how you're in Porto, I'm in Canada, and we can literally have a conversation in 1080p, which just looks looks fantastic. But yeah, it wasn't the technology wasn't good enough at that point. And I think it's it's very interesting seeing what we're doing right now because I would say like even in the last two years. We've really seen remote work come from something that kind of just like weird people do to something that's like r large corporations are starting to pay attention and moving their businesses over to a remote first model, which is incredibly exciting for me because I've just seen the evolution from literally like I think probably ground floor where, you know, it was very difficult to be able to do these sessions over Skype almost not worth it but i knew there was something there and we were able to actually get much higher quality tutors to tutor students at much lower prices mm -hmm. um, which was our tactical advantage for doing it in the first place but fundamentally it wasn't anywhere near the quality that we have today now that we have the infrastructure and the tools and the frameworks and all those types of things like remote work is really starting to take off so you mentioned the term remote first. Can you talk about like what that means and why should sure. a company consider being like, why should a company be remote first? Sure. So remote first companies are companies that decide to hire remote first. So we have about 100 employees in 32 different countries all over the world, and we will always try to hire remote first. Uh, so I'm hiring a uh, customer success manager right now. It looks like we have someone in Bulgaria who is going to be absolutely fantastic. Good place. And that, yeah. And that person has beat out people in San Francisco and Toronto and uh, New York uh, just because, and it's the same, same salary. Um, because for us, we believe that hiring that way is a better way to hire because you're not just looking for the best people in Toronto. You're looking for the best people on planet earth in comparison we have what are called the on-premise model um, 
kind of office model systems. So for internet nerds, when you, about 15, 20 years ago, you didn't use Amazon AWS, you didn't use Microsoft Azure, you had server racks. So everyone in an office, there'd be like a little hub that would have all your server racks and you'd load them in. And that would be an on-premise deployment. So we have the same philosophy, which is, why would you keep all of your staff in one place? Why would you deploy those server racks? Like today, that's ridiculous. So we're mm -hmm. kind of communicating the same thing, which is, it's ridiculous to keep all of your people in one place. It's way too expensive, costly. Um, there's a bunch of other disadvantages to it. You can have cloud employees. You can literally have these people that just exist in cyberspace, and then they can work uh, more effectively and productively and be happier. And then you can also take advantage of a more cost-effective work environment. Yeah, I've um I mean I've I've got to talk to a lot of like companies now who do hire mostly, you know, like in person and they're tech companies and I'm always like why? Like why are you doing that? You could reduce your costs by so much just by hiring remote, you get a higher like talent pool, like a better talent, you know, because you don't just search within your little area, you're searching from all over the world. Like you said you found somebody in Bulgaria who will do a better job than somebody, you know, in San Francisco or or Toronto or whatever. Um what have been like some of the because I know that you talk to a lot of companies and that you actually like help or like you talk to a lot of companies who are considering going remote. What are some of the the challenges or the worries that they mention to you when they are going remote? So the first one is how do I know what my people are doing? That is the number one question that we always get. Time Doctor fundamentally solves that problem uh, for them. The second biggest question that we get is how do I know all of my operational procedures? So remote businesses or remote first businesses have to act like bigger businesses faster, which is actually a huge advantage once you get the, the work done, but it's one of those things that nobody really wants to do. So you need a collection of standard operating procedures like how you sign an email, mm -hmm. right? Your email signature. I remember we had someone who was uh, religious, who was um, a Catholic, and they always put in their signature a um, a, uh, a Bible quote. Mm. And we then had, and this person was in customer success, and we had a customer who was an atheist that really was pissed off about that Bible quote. So now we have an SOP, which is how do you actually put in your signature? Where do you put the graphics in? Where do you get the graphics? So we take that SOP. We write it down, we digitize it, and then we make it accessible to everyone inside of the business. So you need to do that for everything um, companies. There's a fantastic resource. If you just type in GitLab handbook, GitLab has 850 employees entirely remote. They spoke at Running Remote a couple years ago, and uh, they have a 3,200-page um, basically employee guide. So everything that you need to know about how to run GitLab is in there and it's all open source. And Dimitri, the CTO, has encouraged people to steal it. So you can grab what you need from that as your framework and you can deploy that for your own business. And then at least you have some version of procedures in place. Then your employees are going to work on making that, uh, basically refining that process and making sure that it's a really good process document for you. So you throw it into Google Docs, uh, you can throw it into GitLab, even, you know, that's how they do it. 
Or if you want a more advanced tool, I would consider Trainual. Uh, mm-hmm. Trainual is a tool specifically for SOPs. Yeah, I um, there's so many. I think it's so interesting because you you totally talked about SOPs are one of those things that like when you talk to like regular businesses, not a lot of them really have that in place. But you talk to any entrepreneur who is working in like their company's remote or location independent, like they're all about SOPs because it it, it is so important. Um, now you mentioned that Time Doctor solves one of the very first uh, like issues that like a company raises how exactly does time doctor work and how does it solve that issue so right now i'm doing a podcast with mitko and that's my task so i have a task list of what i need to accomplish i pull it in from multiple different sources but it sits as a desktop app which is time doctor so i'm i click on that first task i'm doing that podcast right now i have a podcast in about an hour with the Maverick show, uh, which is coming up next. So I'm able to, number one, know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And number two, I'm documenting all of that data. So I'm actually going to pull this into the 393 different podcasts that I've done over the last two years. And I will know, number one, how much each podcast cost me, what the average podcast cost me, and the lead time. So I believe Vaishali was someone that initially reached out to you or you reached out to her to be able Mm -hmm. to book me. And Vaishali is the person that is in charge of actually managing this process. So we can literally figure out exactly how much a podcast costs. And then we can also, by extension, know what the ROI of the podcast activity is. It's pretty good. Um, It's probably costs me on average 60 to 70 dollars to be able to do one of these podcasts with people so extrapolate that out over an extended amount of time i believe the ltv on a podcast is about 600 dollars. so i 10x my revenue over a year um, Mm -hmm. from doing these type of activities so i have seven podcasts loaded today and i know that i'll probably make seven thousand dollars over the next over the next year um through that activity that's the kind of tool that time doctor is it allows you to measure exactly what's going on inside of your business and then also by extension make you more productive so we use a lot of machine learning and artificial intelligence to tell you what actions are you taking that makes you less productive and what actions are you taking to make you more productive and you want to be able to do more actions that make you more productive than less productive kind of think of it almost as like Fitbit for work. So if you want to know exactly where you're putting your time and where your time is being deployed productively versus unproductively, Time Doctor is the tool for you. Can you give us an example of that? Like, because that sounds, I mean, everybody would like to be more productive and to know what sort of things are making them more productive. Can you give us an example of like how, like how that would look like? Sure. So I don't work on Tuesday afternoons at all. Uh, And I only discovered this after about six months of using Time Doctor initially. And I was seeing a really interesting correlation, which is Tuesday afternoons were really bad for my overall productivity. Time Doctor was telling me, you're not getting any work done. You're getting constantly distracted. You're popping in and out. You're not really focused, right? You're not in flow state. Um, So... When I started looking at this, I realized what the correlation was, which Time Doctor didn't have access to, but I did, which was in Canada, uh, Tuesdays are half-price movie nights. 
So mm. my girlfriend of the last six years would basically start calling me around two in the afternoon saying, are we going to see Batman or Superman? And I'd say, of course, I want to see Batman. And she'd say, no, we're going to go see Superman. Um, does Mitko want to come? I don't know. Can you call Mitko? Okay, he can do the 7.30, but he can't do the 9.30. Um, you know, maybe someone else wants to come. You know, and it was just this constant barragement of um, distractions and realizing it was a lot easier for me, which is very counterintuitive and not connected to the nine to five philosophy of work. We actually realized that by me taking Tuesday afternoons off, my overall work per week went up. Counterintuitive, but it actually is true because I was able to decompress, know what I needed to do, um, take that time off and then get back into work on a Wednesday morning, which is actually this morning. I was at the movies last night. I saw Ad Astra. It sucked. Ooh, it sucked? Oh, I've it sucked. been wanting to see that so bad. It's like Interstellar, it but with Brad Pitt. Too, not... It was like, Interstellar is great. This one was just sort of like um, the last quarter of the film. I was like, what is going on? Uh, but I watched it in IMAX. So mm. it was really cool, beautiful, like, you know, space scenes and all that kind of stuff. But we both sure. looked at each other and we realized, man, this sucked. <laughs> now, one of the issues, because, you know, the way the Time Doctor works is that it kind of tracks what you're doing, right? Like, so that if you have an employee, it tracks what the employee is doing and it can tell what websites it's on. One of the sort of issues that I've heard raised with that is that it can really affect a company's culture because that employee feels like they're not being trusted. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? And what, like, have you guys seen any of that? Um, just kind of curious. Absolutely. So about 5% of our customer base um, on the employee side don't like the software. Mm. And, sorry, about 10%. So okay. about half of that 10%, 5% just don't know how the software works. So, our software is voluntary, meaning you actively have to turn it on to interact with it. So once it's turned off, it's not collecting any data. So if you want to go on to you know, Facebook or YouTube or you know see some go onto your banking website, you absolutely can when it's turned off. But then the other percentage, the five percent that are resistant towards it, are usually the people that have realized that the game is over that they're actually not that productive, that they've kind of been playing this game of, well, uh, I'm kind of almost like the <clears throat> the office clown or the company mm -hmm. clown. I've been keeping everybody really engaged and that's been great, but I'm not doing any real work. And sometimes shining that light directly on that person um, can get them to level up and do something better. But a lot of the times, unfortunately, it just re they just show that, hey, they're not they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. I'll give you an example. Um, right now on our time doctor, everyone can see everyone else's data. So the way that we solve it is it's a completely open organization. So everyone in the company, if they want to check out their dashboard, can see what I'm doing right now, which is talking to you. And they know that I'm working 40 to 50 hours a week. So they hopefully are going to be able to work those 40 to 50 hour weeks as well. What does a day, I mean, you said that, you know, everybody, like everybody can see everybody's time and time doctor. What have you learned from the data that you've been collecting and everything like that? And how has that, how have you changed the way that you work within the company? 
Like, what does a day sure. in the life of a Time Doctor employee work based on what you've learned from all the data you've collected? So we've learned, number one, the average work week is 26 hours and 32 minutes on computer uh, for a remote worker. So it's not a 40-hour work week. Secondly, we've realized that remote work for us, or so, well, just work in general, it's remote work. I would define it as remote work because it's a little disingenuous to be able to kind of expand this out to all work, but my assumption is that it's true. Workers work very differently dependent upon the type of work that they do. So uh, a sales guy works a nine to five because, and it's usually a guy, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a sales guy works nine to five because salespeople uh, need to be up when the decision maker is up which is usually nine to five. A developer, as an example, works completely differently from a salesperson. So they might work for 12 hours straight, and then they may not work for an entire day. Mm-hmm. And then they may work for six hours, and then they may not work for an entire day. Um, they're as close as I can see to creative writers. So if you have a journalist, not even a journalist actually, like someone that's writing fiction or writing a book or writing blog posts, They almost have the same kind of workflow. So we've basically said, we don't care when you work or where you work as long as you get your work done. And that's created a very interesting phenomenon, which is workers that just sort of work weird hours. Like we have developers that, you know, they'll work their their shift will be maybe they'll start coding at 10 p.m. and they go till four o'clock in the morning Mm. and they just love that way of working. Well, if they were in a regular on-premise company, that wouldn't be possible. They'd have to work that nine to five, which really stagnates their creativity. And we've realized that if you just allow them to work whenever they want, it allows for a lot more creative um, process. And in a tech startup, that's super important. So in terms of, I'm really curious about where you said that, you know, the average work week is about 26 hours. So knowing that, have you then adjusted how many hours you require people to work and you're just being more sort of like realistic about what it is, but you require for more to be done with at that time or are you still, how exactly does that work? So we don't have any work hour requirements, um, but we do require that the work that you do do is on time doctor. Mm. And so what we'll know is, well, if you were only, if you're a lower performing worker, as an example, let's say you got like 100 salespeople. Mm-hmm. I know that a really good salesperson probably works about 35 hours a week on average. And if you're working 18 hours a week, we can see that correlation. Time Doctor will actually give it to us because, again, the Fitbit for work will be able to figure out all of those correlations. And then we'll say, listen, the reason why you're not hitting your numbers is because you're not working hard enough. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it. That's the reality. And then we'll also see people that will be working. Um, I have a perfect example of someone that was working 260 hours, 100 hours over the, the regular 160-hour work month. And they were posting numbers as productive as the best salesperson on the team who was working, I believe, 120 hours. So we said, like, you're posting these sales numbers, but you're killing yourself. You really need to figure out how you can become more productive because to me, at least from a sales perspective, I divide revenue by hours worked. And that's my definition of productivity for a salesperson. 
and it's different for different departments, <clears throat> but how can we optimize for someone that's making $1,000 an hour, as an example, or $2,000 an hour, as opposed to someone who's making $500 an hour, which is still a great accomplishment, but if you're working twice as many hours, that's how you're making that game work, but eventually you're going to, to um, you're going to burn yourself out. I don't know if you know of the Japanese word for um, for uh, overworked death or death by overwork. Yeah, because they're having like a real issue with that over there, aren't they? Like people literally dropping dead from like overworking. Yeah, it's um, it's karoshi, which is literally like called overworked death, and this is not just a one-off. Uh, I think there's someone that dies from karoshi in Japan every week. It's it's a massive phenomenon, um, and people will be working. You know, 30, 30 year olds will have um, brain aneurysms and strokes at thirty because they're working an extra two hundred hours a month, and that's just something that I think is not going to actually move anybody forward. It's going to just create a lot more uh, unhappiness in the world and remote work is actually the biggest single thing that you can do to make your employees happier. How come? Which has a huge... So when we've run the studies, or not we, when we've looked at the academic studies, on average, a remote worker becomes 22% more productive when they work remotely versus on-premise. And the other thing that's very interesting is, and a lot of founders and business owners will be interested in hearing this, what do you think the number one reason for someone leaving a business is, for someone quitting? The number one reason why somebody would quit, um, I would say like boredom or unhappiness. I know I'm picking two answers, but. Inter-office politics. They don't mm. like their coworkers or they don't like their manager. That problem is solved fundamentally or significantly reduced in remote work agreements because you don't have to come into the office and get bullied as an example mm -hmm. um, by these people. So on, so remote workers on average have a 30% higher retention rate than their on-premise counterparts. The average um, cost of a quitting, a quit or fired employee in the United States to replace them is $42,000. So on average, if you calculate everything, a on a remote employee is 40% more cost effective than an on-premise employee when you add in all of these other advantages. And that's huge from a unit economics perspective. I actually think right now we see remote work as like an employee perk. Within 10 years, it will be a requirement. And if you do not know how to run your company remotely, you are going to be left out because it's simply going to be, if you put a thousand businesses today that are remote first and a thousand businesses that are on premise, those remote first companies will have a 40% discount on their biggest line item in their business, which is their staff. They will obliterate the other hundred or thousand on premise employees over 10 years. So I think that's an inevitable inevitability. And we just really have to kind of realize how to transfer labor over to that model. Mm. What do you think makes I mean, you guys have, how many employees do you guys have at Time Doctor? About 100. Okay, so over 100 employees, you kind of have seen a lot of different personalities and, and worker traits. What have, have you seen a correlation between like what makes a really good remote worker? We've done a little bit of psychometric testing on this and 
the only really strong signal that we have is introversion. So people that are introverted seem to work better remotely than extroverted people. I'm slightly on the extroverted scale and I need to go to like a coffee shop or something like that once a week just to kind of get that energy or a co-working space. Um, but introverted people, I uh, know someone that works for the company that's maybe four blocks from here. I maybe speak to him once a quarter face to face. Everything else, I and I meet with him weekly on video. Uh, so he really prefers to not interact face to face. He just likes working from home. And yeah, that's the biggest signal that we've seen. Everything else, I really don't have any kind of statistically significant data to present, unfortunately. Yeah, that's interesting because I think I hit pretty highly on the extroverted scale and I need to be in a coffee shop every day, at least for like an hour to kind of get that energy. Otherwise, I kind of like I almost get like restless sitting at home, you know. Um, Now, aside from Time Doctor, you do run one of the biggest, uh, you know, conferences for remote work and that is running remote. Can you tell me what made you start that and what sort of people attend running remote? Sure. I got super frustrated with looking at the conferences that were currently out there to try to solve my problem. So about two and a half years ago, we said, well, we need to hire another 50 people. We started Googling stuff and trying to figure out like, what's an experience of people that um, have hired 50 remote staff, right? remote first staff in a year. Well, there wasn't anything out there. There's a lot of stuff on like how to hire a virtual assistant or your first employee or general theoretical frameworks without actually getting down to the nitty gritty of it. So we said, well, there's nothing out there and we really want to learn this information. And it was kind of like a um, ready, fire, aim type of situation. So we just cut the check to to rent the venue, which our first year was in Bali. And we said, well, if we end up um, it being a massive disaster and no one coming, if we can increase retention in our company by 10%, we'll actually make all those costs back. And thankfully, it actually worked out. We, we broke even on our first one. And um, we realized, hey, you know, there's something really here for companies that want to build and scale remote teams. Because we had spoken just briefly before we started the call about um, the current space. And there's a ton of stuff about being a digital nomad and being a freelancer. Lots of conferences about that. Nomad Summit, um, uh, DNX, um, uh, Freedom Fest. There's a Mm -hmm. bunch of other ones that are out there. And they don't really speak to me about, I have 100 employees, how do I get to 200 employees within the next year? So that's basically that conference is, if you wanna learn about building and scaling remote teams, running remote's the place for you. Uh, We don't have anything about being a freelancer, nothing on the employee side. It's all on the employer side. Mm. So when is the, if somebody's listening to this and this is the perfect fit for them in terms of conference, they've been looking to go to a conference like this, where is the next one uh, and how can they get a ticket? Sure. So next one's in Austin, Texas, end of April, and uh, you can get a ticket by going to runningremote.com. Cool. And, um, you know, obviously as the CEO and founder of time doctor, if, uh, if anybody's listening to that, can they just go to time doctor and uh, get hooked up for it with it? Yeah. Timedoctor.com. Just, uh, sign up for a trial. There's a 14 day free trial. You can test it out. And, uh, if you have any real trouble, 
just kind of scream my name <laughs> on any type of uh, customer support portals, and I'll usually uh, run over and help you out. And one last question, because I'm curious, if somebody's not running a company, but is just sort of like a freelancer or, you know, kind of like just getting started, is there any way that they can use Time Doctor, you know, without kind of running a large team? I mean, that's an agency fundamentally. So if you want to actually properly bill your clients and show them, hey, you know what, I, I didn't work for 10 hours on your project. I worked for 10 hours four minutes and 32 seconds, and here's the entire breakdown of exactly what I did, um, that's a fantastic tool for the, for that type of application. So we have a ton of people that use it individually, not only as freelancers, but also to just optimize their own productivity. Mm, awesome. Well, Liam, thank you so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed talking to you, and uh, yeah, maybe see you at uh, Running Remote in that case. Cool, yeah, thanks for having me.